Welcome to the Sleep for Performance podcast. This is part of the Sleep Disorders and Problems series. And today I'm joined by my, I was going to say good old friend, but some people get mad when you say a good old friend. I'm going to say my good friend, Dr. Emmy Bender. Emmy, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Excellent. As you can see here, I'm rugged up. It's freezing here in Perth. I went swimming yesterday morning and it was a very cold six degrees air temperature which I know is laughable for people in Canada, but for here in Perth, it might as well be minus 40. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're approaching summer here and uh, I'm freezing currently. So uh, we have a long ways to go before we <laughs> even out to your temperature. So where are you best today? You're up in uh, Calgary, is it? I'm in Calgary. And what's the current air temperature there? Well, uh, so it's, 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I am American and I haven't quite gotten the conversion for all the temperatures yet. So I guess we're looking at uh, about 10, 10, 10, 10. Uh, Celsius. Ah, so it's even, yeah, so it's, 30, so it's nearly somewhere there and it's nearly that cold. That's disgraceful. I'm going to have to get onto the Canadian government about um, getting your um, working rights revoked uh, if you can't understand <laughs> Celsius. That's absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, there'll be a test uh, the next time Emmy's on the podcast. This is Emmy's second time on the podcast. The next time she comes on, there will be a test on the uh, the metric system and uh, other related units. We'll be talking about kilometers, Fahrenheit, Celsius, and uh, kilos, and so on. <laughs> yes, I am. I am quite embarrassed because actually, I think almost to the day, maybe it was a few days ago, where I arrived in Canada in 2015. So it has been six years, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah. You keep saying about there, and you'll soon get right there. You'll soon. You'll soon transition. <laughs> 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 so Amy, can you just give a uh, for people who may have not heard the last podcast can you just give people like a quick overview of your background and where you're from as context sure i am well i'm currently director of clinical sleep science at cerebra which is a sleep technology company startup um prior to that i guess i started in the sleep field actually as a sleep technologist so i was working at uh sleep and performance research center at Washington state university. Uh, the lab had just opened up. They were looking for sleep technologists. I was, uh, kind of currently volunteering in a lab and just luckily happened to land this job because the person I was volunteering for actually was on the committee to bring in Greg Belenke to start the lab and Hans van Dongen. So it just worked out perfectly for me that I started off as a sleep technologist at this world-renowned sleep lab. Um, did that for four, four years or so, and then really was really interested in science and wanting to be able to design my own experiments, answer the questions I cared about. And so I did my master's and PhD in experimental psychology at Washington State University in the same lab. Uh, focusing on EEG, uh, individual differences in response to sleep deprivation, and then did a postdoc in, at University of Calgary, working with Canadian Olympic team athletes. And really, I mean, I was looking, I've been an athlete all my life, so I played college basketball. 
I did an Ironman, did some mountaineering. So I really wanted to combine my passion for sleep with athletics. And so that kind of brought me to the postdoc position. And then since, you know, I was working at a counseling center as the lead research scientist, and then now I'm back full-time in sleep at Cerebra. Um, yeah. And that's where I'm at today. Excellent. So when Amy said she was an athlete, we would say here in Australia or even in Ireland, she's quite sporty <laughs> or he's into sport or she's into sport. Or as my dad says, you can't stop, you can't stop moving. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> you need to calm down. You're getting older. Yeah, now. Calm I down, mean, calm down. <laughs> I think I saw, I don't know what, what it was, maybe Instagram. You had a picture of your garage being transformed into yeah, yeah. jujitsu. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. So I put down like 22 square meters of mats in my, in my double garage, but it, it can be just taken up and down, like within the case of like five minutes, but we got some holes put into the ground where you can put a little skirting board in to, oh, keep, wow. to keep, keep them in place, you know, so they don't move around because we were doing that for a while and then the mats will keep just sliding around. So we got some stuff put in. My, my wife got mad at me for doing that, but anyway, cause we only moved in here. So you got 22 square meters in the garage. Um, I don't know what that is in feet <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's good. I and mean, we just like, we can just trend there. And so, yeah, it was quite nice. So, so yesterday morning I went for a swim when it was six degrees. And then last night I was uh, trying to chalk lads. So it was good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You got to mix up the exercise, you oh, know, for sure. Yeah. And after this, this morning, I'll be going for a, a couple of hour run. So it's, um, it's nice. I like to keep, keep moving. Yeah. It's the key. It's my secret to keep people say, how do you do so much? I think it's, um, keeping active. Keep keeping a uh, keeping moving is the is the main goal. So yeah, hopefully I'll 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 do this and have a heart attack someday, and I'll be uh, when I'm in my nineties or a hundred. So yeah, 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 that's great. Um, excellent. All right, I mean, so that's good. Um, let's talk a little bit about um Cerebra and what you're doing at Cerebra and what what the intent of that company is. If you could give us an overview of that. Yeah, so as I mentioned, it's a sleep technology company startup, really focused on helping people sleep better um, with the technology that we've developed. So we have a level two, basically what you would get in a sleep lab, but you're able to do it in your own home and it's self-applied. So there are some level two devices out there where a technician has to come into the home to apply it or, you know, the person has to go to the technician. So it's really great that we're able to do this, a full, what you would get in the lab, a diagnostic test in the home. It's self-applied and our EEGs are, are on the forehead, which we validated to be just as good as, you know, the central and the occipital channels. So that's, that's, the part that makes it self-applied because you don't have to actually put it in the hair, in the yeah. scalp. So just for um, context there, when Amy talks about those, it's like generally if you go into a lab, you've got pads on the front of your head, the frontal, then you have the central in the middle of your head and then you have the occipital on the back. So you you have probably what, at least three, isn't it? In a lab, one on each level or maybe even more but at least three anywhere um, to do an overnight polysomnography level one, which is in the laboratory, which will have cameras as well in case you're running around acting out your dreams. But what Amy's talking about here is a level two at home based one. 
So just mm-hmm. just just so people know the difference between them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The in lab usually have six EEG channels, so two on each side. Yeah. For the frontal, the central, and the occipital, and usually the frontal um, tends to be in the hairline as well. Um, but we're able to use our our device where it's pretty much on the forehead and still get the same quality signals that you would get in the lab. But um, the, the, the most exciting part, I think, is our software, actually. So we have, uh, we've developed some novel EEG metrics to really look at sleep depth and sleep quality, which before goes we, way... Before we oh, jump down ahead. that rabbit hole of, uh, of that, measure, <laughs> because I do want to talk about that, I just want to kind of explore a little bit more in detail um, the at-home-based or the the home-based PSG, if we can just talk a little bit about what's getting measured there. And maybe we'll start with, what are the four levels of PSG Mm -hmm. that we generally refer to? Oh, you mean like type one, type two? Yeah. Okay. So generally, so the level one would be in, in laboratory, which we talked about, where you have a technician watching over you. If you have parasomnias, you know, you're walking in your sleep, those kind of things, that would be a a good situation where you'd want to have a level one sleep study level two is using similar channels. Um, but it is in the home base. So the environment is different. You're in your own home environment. And then level three is usually just used to look at sleep apnea. So we refer to those primarily as home sleep apnea tests. And typically it's just an oximeter that is looking at oxygen saturation and then a airflow channel on the nose. And so it's basically what you're going to get out of that is the apnea hypopnea index. How many times technically it's not even the AHI because it doesn't have all of those requirements. Um, but you, you basically get how many times a person stops breathing per hour. And so that would be for a person with a high pretest probability of sleep apnea, you know, that would be kind of the choice there, but it's not actually measuring sleep. It's just looking at these pauses and breathing. And with level two and level one, we're able to look at the different sleep stages and uh, periodic limb movements that are occurring during the night, um, potentially hyperarousal as it relates to insomnia so much more than what you would get with a level three. And I think a level four is basically an oximeter. Um, mm. if I, and, if I remember right. And then we move down into the, into the wearables or the actigraphy devices. Mm-hmm. And then we start moving down the chain into nearables and, um, then into questionnaires and self-reported. So that's the kind of hierarchy of sleep assessments, really. Absolutely. Yes. I think it's interesting, Amy, that you talk about that because in terms of the different levels between PSG, because I often try to explain this to people and it gets quite frustrating because we have, and I'm not sure what happens in Canada, but here in Australia, we have a lot of our pharmacies or chemists or drugstores, as you would call them in America, saying that they do sleep assessments or sleep disorders. And it's generally like a level three. Um, or in some cases, they don't even have a level three. They've got a therapy device like a ResMed um, CPAP machine. And they're using that then to actually collect data and diagnose an issue. 
Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's really, I think it's really poor and it's really, um, I think it's quite, I think it's quite dangerous because you might go in as a, as an individual with some sleep problems and they'll give you maybe like a level three device and maybe your AHI is, is within normal range of zero to five, but you may have like period, like movement disorder overnight. You might have, you know, another respiratory issue that's not picked up. Um, you might have a parasomnia, as you said. Um, you might have central apnea. Like who who knows what might be in there and it's not getting picked up because the device is not accurate or it's not designed to pick those up. And even if it does, it might be very sensitive or specific either. So I think um, it's interesting when people are listening to this and you're thinking about which test to, to choose or what the problem is. I think definitely going to, uh, you know, your GP and getting a referral to a sleep physician is definitely recommended or have a chat to a sleep scientist or someone like ourselves to just get put in the right direction. But going into your local chemist or buying something online, wasting your time and you maybe maybe you're not picking up issues that are, are present, you know. So it's just, it's kind of a word of caution there. I, I, get, I get really frustrated when I walk up town and I see these signs outside, these sandwich boards outside these pharmacies. You know, we, we diagnose sleep problems. We treat sleep issues. And of course, most people have got sleep problems because they're tired, you know, and they're not looking at the bigger picture of the pharmacies around, you know, scheduling and behavior and all these things. And look, I'm not having a knock at pharmacies here, but what I'm having a knock at is the fact that we might be missing out on some vital, you know, medical information here. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, at seeing a sleep specialist is warranted and recommended you know, if you are truly struggling with the sleep disorder and it's been happening, you know, three times a week, kind of the three month occurring for three months, you want to get it checked out. And it's, mm-hmm. um, you might be tempted to try and solve it on your, on your own or go to one of these so-called specialists, but really trying to look for an accredited lab with a sleep medicine physician uh, because there's a lot out there. There's a yeah. lot of people trying to take advantage. There's a lot of, lot of cowboys out there. That's for sure. Um, so Amy, with the, with the cerebral device at home being a level two PSG obviously makes it easier for people who can't, you know, maybe get to a lab if they're in a remote area, which obviously is very common in places like Canada and Australia. So I find like when I talk to people in the UK about this, they're like, but they can just go somewhere. I'm like, but but not here, you couldn't. <laughs> like, you could be thousands of kilometers away from somewhere else, or in a remote village where those capabilities aren't there, or a remote township. So obviously, people can do this at home, and um, you know they can they can get a, a really good diagnosis here at level two. Um, how, what what makes this different than another level two device? You spoke about like you have to go to a technician, and with with this device, um, how why is it so easy to put on? What's, what's so different? Like what happens if someone's got a problem with it? Yeah, it is. So it is self-applied, which differentiates us from, you know, our competitors currently. I mean, I know, I know there are people developing self-applied, so that is, that is an important factor that, and it's, I, I won't say that the process is seamless. You know, there, we have videos that instruct people on what, where to put the channels, where to plug in the channels. You know, it's not like you're just going to put on a wearable and be good to go. There are lots of wires. You know, we're looking at 
eye activity so we can stage different stages of sleep. We're looking at muscle activity at the chin. We're looking at ECG potentially, depending on the configuration, airflow. So we have a channel in the nose. We have an oximeter that you're wearing on your finger. We have leg channels to see if you're kicking your legs during the night. So it is, it is a lot, um, but I think the advantage of measuring sleep in your home and it being self-applied is a huge advantage because we see first night effects in the laboratory. So, you know, and usually if you're doing a level one study, it's one and done. It's you have one chance to show your sleep disorder on this one night. Um, and so having it in the home, in their natural environment, I think is a good, is a good advantage, but then also we're able to, if let's say, uh, airflow channel falls off or an oximeter falls off, we have that data streaming straight away. So we can say, okay, don't ship the device back we're going to do a repeat because it looks like this channel fell off for four hours during the night. You know, let's do another study and try it again. So we have capability to do multiple nights, um, in a row and really, you know, we're actually developing a micro device too, that you can wear for way longer than just a couple nights in a row. So I think um, that's where the future is headed. Mm. But for now, being able to, to use this device in your own home, diagnose, self-applied is, is great. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's really cool. Um, can you also then use like drill down versions, we'll say, or reduced versions just for sleep staging? Or do you just put stuff on the head and, and not worry about the body? Yes, we do have different configurations. So we have the ability to do EEG only, which then it's basically the, the head mounted unit on the forehead that is then with a reference, um, a mastoid reference in order to gauge uh, sleep stages and get, get that information. So why would, why would people bother doing that then, Amy, when like these wearable devices can tell you sleep stages? <laughs> Well, Ian, uh, I just <laughs> tweeted that, um, <laughs> I just tweeted your little post about the paper that came out looking, comparing at the, these seven commercial or wearable devices. Great paper, and isn't it? It was. It's really and, good. I really like that. You know, they conclude that it is not accurate for yeah. sleep stages. So it's good at looking at sleep time, um, you know, potentially wake during the night, um, a little bit troublesome for sleep onset latency, just cause if you're sitting still, you know, it might count that as being asleep. But when we look at the sleep stages overall there, the information is not accurate. And well, I'll say certain devices are probably better than others. Um, they're but all, all widely inaccurate. That's, that's the thing, aren't they? They're all crazy. <laughs> like one's just less crazier than the other. Yeah. And I get people mess. You probably get people messaging you all the time as well. Yeah. Like, why is my device telling me I only have 5% REM? And, um, we need to think way beyond, uh, sleep staging to begin with, even if we're measuring sleep 
with a polysomnogram, I think mm. we can do way better than just looking at sleep on a 30 second window, which was developed due to the ink speed back when we had paper, really? you know, PSG. Yeah. So ah. it was a, a matter so when of get, when you get the big printouts, like it'll go like, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And that's why we were looking at sleep in those 30 second increments epics. So I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm interested in this because I find it fascinating that people are obsessed with sleep stages. I find a couple of things over the, the last few years, <clears throat> excuse me, all I cough up a furball. And I think what's interesting is one is people are, people were obsessed and probably still are to a certain degree about these 90 minute cycles. Then sleep mm-hmm. stages came yes. off, came off with the next big thing, and people are crazy about sleep stages. I was doing a, a whole hope, whole. I was hosting a heap of. Oh God, I can't even speak this morning. <laughs> I need to go to bed. <laughs> Put that device on me, Emmy. Didn't you but, just wake up? <laughs> did you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> it is early in the morning here. Yeah, and um, I was running a, a series of workshops for a, for a company recently. And it was interesting talking about, I had a section on wearable technology, you know, and kind of strengths and limitations. People were quite irate or pissed off actually, because the, the, number one, they were like, but why did they give out these measures if they're not correct? I'm like, because they're not a sleep company. They're like a physical activity tracker. People were getting quite pissed. How did they get, how did they get away with that? Like, what's mean? How did they get away with that? It's just, it's an activity tracker. That's what it is. That's their, their FDA approval or their TGA approval in Australia. They're not saying they're asleep. Oh, but, and it is interesting what they said. Like, they make you think like they can solve your sleep problems. I'm like, yeah, because it's advertising, it's marketing. It's like the bathroom scales as well. You get a bathroom scales, not everybody got around with a six pack. I said, if that was the case, I have about 15 bathroom scales at home. I've got two or three in my house and I still don't have a six pack. So <laughs> it's just a measurement device, right? And so it's like, if I get up on my weighing scales and I look and my body fat percent is like 18%, by measuring that, it's not going to make me get my body fat percent down to 15% in a week. Just like if I wear a wearable and my REM is only like 10%, it should be 20%, for example. What's the device going to do? And so it's interesting. And people, then we got into like stuff of how, well, how can I make myself get more REM? And I said to a guy oh, like joking. Yes. I said to a guy oh, like I joking. I hear that all the time. Yeah. I said to a guy joking, if you like, when you go to bed at night, just tap your forehead like that three or four times <laughs> rapidly. <laughs> Really? I said, yeah, because it stimulates the brain. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Like, what, what's wrong with you people? I said, why do you think, why are you obsessed? Like, you can't people, control your brain. I said, oh, they are so obsessed. You want to control yourself in an unconscious state. You've got this idea you can control it. And why do you want more REM? And the next answer is, I don't know, because the watch said, I was like, I'm going to get a watch that tells you to give Ian money and maybe I'll follow that because they just blindly follow like this stuff out of, out of these devices. So it's quite interesting when we get into sleep stages you know, that people get so obsessed with them. It's, it's, it's fascinating how this has happened. Absolutely. I think, I mean, yeah, like I said, I get messages all the time. What should I do? It's saying I don't have enough deep sleep, you know, and you have to start with how accurate is the information. And exactly at this point, it's not very accurate. So, um, I mean, I think there was a, a Fitbit lawsuit a while back too, in that they were making some claims and, and so there are, there is a lawsuit lawsuits related to that, that they're making these claims that they can't necessarily back up. Um, now 
I think the technology is getting better. Um, I wouldn't say that we should disregard these devices whatsoever. For me personally, you know, I'm wearing like a Garmin Forerunner that I primarily use for training. And literally before I go to bed, I take that puppy off. Like I am not wearing that thing to bed. Number one, the green, there's green light coming from the device. And we know based on skin body clocks in our skin that our, our skin can be sensitive to this light. So I question, I question that number one, I know Aura ring uses a red light, I believe. So that's probably a little bit better. Um, but number two, that paper that you were talking about, you know, Garmin was the worst out of all of yeah, them. Yeah. So, so why, why even bother? And so that's kind of my standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I agree. I think it causes more angst and benefit for the sleep stages. So that's why you have to be very careful when you look at these things. And in general, the kind of common thread across a lot of these uh, devices is that time at sleep onset, sleep duration and time awake, it's good for those. And then again as well, um, you need to be looking at that in a 21-day rolling window. So I don't, you know, this kind of thing of waking up in the morning and going, oh, I had a bad night's sleep last night, which happens with actigraphy, happens with overnight polysomnography in the lab. People wake up out of lab and go, that was, that was shit. I'm like, what do you mean that was shit? I had a shit night's sleep. I'm like, yeah, but we had, we had perfect data all night. Yeah, well, that's not representative. So whatever conclusion you draw from that is wrong. I'm like, but the PSG is there just to diagnose for a sleep disorder. We're not actually there wondering how you sleep in your life. And they just can't get their head around it sometimes as well, you know, and just think that because you had a bad night's sleep. And that's the thing I think to remember is that if you are doing PSG level one or even two, you're going to have some disruption to your sleep. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to measure your sleep every single night. It's really just there to identify a sleep problem. And so you have to understand, I think, which device to be used and in what context and what you're looking for. But with the wearables, I, I would be looking at 21 day roll on average. So if you're out there wearing a device and you're stressed now about how you slept last night or the night before, don't look at and the devices are good at giving like the average metrics. You don't have to work out yourself. They'll show you if you select a time frame or over the last month, even on average, how you're sleeping. So over the last month, if you've been getting between seven to nine hours, that's pretty good. Then you can start getting down into certain days. If it's every Saturday night, you're only getting five hours because you're out partying. Then you can start doing some targeted mm-hmm. interventions around the Saturday nights, for example. Yes, I think absolutely looking at it on a broader time scale mm-hmm. versus just how is my sleep last night? Is it telling me my readiness score is, you know, 50% or whatever. I think that can cause damage. And, you know, I'm working with NBA team, NBA players where this could really cause some damage. If I get a poor oh, yeah. night's sleep prior to a playoff game, I look at that feedback and, you know, how, how am I going to perform based on that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I get the same as well with athletes as well. Same thing, getting stressed out over one night, you know, or taking a measure and then using it inappropriately and just getting themselves in a, in a complete tailspin. So if I deal with an athlete now, I say, if whatever device they're using, I'll say two things could happen. One is we'll actually work out your device is crap and you have no problem. Or two, we might identify some problems that we have to work on. So <laughs> it could be one or the two. So either way, you're going to get an outcome. So, so it's good in that respect. Mm-hmm. Now I do, I do like the wearables before we throw the wearables under the bus. I mean, I think that they are starting the conversation about sleep. I think they're very good in that respect. 
Um, they are, they can be motivating for people to get more sleep. So there are those considerations. I just think we have to be more careful with the feedback we're receiving and potentially, uh, you know, have a night's sleep, evaluate your sleep subjectively. When you wake up, take some time. Oh, you know, I think I did pretty good last night and not immediately look at the feedback. So really take some time before looking at that feedback to kind of evaluate on your own. Don't let the data own you. Yeah, exactly. And also as well, like yesterday morning, for example, I had a crap night's sleep and I got up early to go swimming and I just really wasn't in the mood, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to break the cycle today. It's going to be a bit of a bad day, but I'm going to get up, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to exercise at the end of the day. I'm going to do what I was going to do. And then last night I had a great night's sleep. Hence why I'm a bit groggy this morning, but it's like, it, it's it's okay to have a bad night's sleep every now and then. It's quite normal to have maybe a couple of nights, bad night's sleep in a month or even up to five. Like it's quite normal. Not mm-hmm. every night's going to be this perfect idyllic, you know, off, off, off we drift and go to sleep, you know, with whale music in the background. It's not always going to be like that. You're going to have bad nights, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we, we're not, not throwing the wearables under the bus, but it's understanding strengths and limitations of everything. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think you're a bit like me, Emmy. You like you like to geek out on the technology as well of it, you know, and play around with them. I've worn all these devices to bed playing around with them. My wife comes home sometimes, oh what now what have you bought? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this thing, it came out. Oh god, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> I can talk about her here because um she doesn't listen to the podcast. She goes, Why would I listen to the podcast? Because uh, I get to hear your crap at home anyway. So <laughs> some of her friends at work listen to her. And then tell her what I say. And she goes, oh, <laughs> don't even listen to him. She goes, <laughs> yeah. See, yeah, out, my, out, my, out there in the real world, I'm, I'm, I'm a hero in here. I'm nothing. <laughs> yeah. So my, my husband's kind of doesn't listen to my stuff for the opposite reason. Like he gets kind of nervous. Like he doesn't want me to screw up. So he does not watch my presentations. <laughs> he does not listen to my podcasts uh, for, for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my wife was like that when I first started doing some media stuff. She's going, oh, I, was, I didn't want to listen to that, especially if I did live radio. I didn't want to let in case she said something wrong. I'm like, what can I say wrong? What can I, like, you know, unless I don't, if I don't abuse anybody, I'm okay, you know. I'm not gonna. Yeah, but you tell a stupid joke and it'll go down the wrong way. I said, yeah, but at least I'll get a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to the highlight of this conversation, which is the software associated with the cerebral devices and the ORP metrics. I'm really interested in this. This got my, uh, got my attention. I knew when you were sending me emails, Amy, that this you were excited about it, and I started reading about it and even I got more excited about it. And then I watched the video and I got really excited about it. So can you tell us what <laughs> ORP is? Sure. Yeah. So we're looking, it's an EEG metrics. We're looking at brainwave activity using fast Fourier transform, which is basically kind of decomposing the wave that you would see on the screen into different bands. So we're looking at uh, beta activity, alpha activity, theta activity, and uh, delta activity. So we're decomposing that EEG wave into these different bands. And then we're able to kind of get more information on a three second level instead of with the sleep stage, you'd be looking at 30 yeah. seconds. So that's, that's another cool thing is we're looking at a very much smaller time scale. You must have and, lots of ink. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's it's basically, I mean, it's pretty complicated, but it it boils down to a measure of sleep depth that we're able to look at during all the stages of sleep, as well as wake activity, which, you know, like in the current research, we have Delta power, which is looking at slow wave activity within non-REM. Um, the, the great thing about ORP is we can look at sleep depth during REM, uh, non-REM, and then also look for abnormal wake activity during, during wakefulness. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a sleep depth measure on a zero to 2.5 scale. And we're doing a lot of cool things with how does this measure change after an arousal? So we have kind of ORP nine, where when an arousal occurs, a mini awakening occurs in the nine seconds after that, how long does it take the person to get back into a deep state of sleep? And we're finding that in people with potentially insomnia, um, you know, people who are light sleepers, it's, it's taking them a long time to get down to that deep state of sleep. And in the meantime, they wake up again before they get down to that. So it's looking at kind of sleep quality, um, in a different way versus if you were to look at sleep stages or even just awakenings per hour during the night. So when you said depth of sleep, we're not talking about the difference between light sleep as in N1 or N2 and deep sleep. You're just talking about the depth within that stage or the depth within that period. Is that correct? Yes. So when you look at, let's say you look at stage two sleep, there is a lot of variability in depth of sleep within stage two. So you may see kind of a stage one scenario, but you see a K complex prior to the 15 seconds. So you score that as stage two, whereas there may be another stage two where it's on the verge of being stage three you know, so there's large waves occurring, high amplitude waves, low frequency, yet you're scoring it as stage two. So if you were to compare those two epics, there'd be a huge difference in sleep depth, but, and yet all we're pulling out from the polysomnogram is, okay, both of these are stage two. Um, we've done some work recently where uh, we're actually a part of the AASM. There was a contest on OSA um, and so we have a video coming out. So take, so be on the lookout for that at the sleep meeting, but basically we've taken an example of two different patients who have similar stage metrics. So they have, you know, less than 10% wake during the night. They have around 5% stage one, they have 50% stage two you know, 20% stage three and 25% REM. And they're both kind of, if you were to look at them on percentages of those sleep stages across the night, they would be very similar, 90% sleep efficiency. But when you look at their ORP, they are vastly different. So there's one that has, looks like they have a lot of deeper sleep activity in the, in the lower bands. Um, and they're probably sleep deprived in this particular person. So there's a lot of, of that, 
zero to you know three hertz activity going on when we're looking at the ORP deciles versus this other person that has very little of the deeper states of sleep have a lot of the unstable kind of middle ground. They have a lot of that activity and then have a lot, a little, um, full wakefulness during the night. So we're really trying to kind of capture some of these potential phenotypes where sleep staging doesn't give you any added information. We want to look at it on a more fine grain level. Um, it's hard to explain it's better with like a picture, but, um, yeah. There is a really cool video on Vimeo that we'll put into the show notes that people can have a look at. It explains it really well. And that, that, that's what helped me because you sent me some papers and I was sitting here with my eyes crossed in a magnifying glass. And um, <laughs> I was like, oh, clicking the video. I was like, oh, I should have watched the video first. But it's, it, it's, actually, it's actually quite good, yeah. And so really what we can do is use this as a, a sleep quality score because um, defining sleep quality is very difficult. Like how, how, like there, here's a question actually, I mean, how, how would you define sleep quality? It is, it's very challenging. Um, yeah. I actually attended, I think a talk by Michael Grandner on sleep quality. And I basically asked like, do you measure sleep quality subjectively? Do you measure it objectively? And his response was, well, for right now, we're measuring it subjectively because we don't have a way to measure it objectively. Um, so yeah, I mean, the National Sleep Foundation, they have their own definition where you fall asleep. If you're falling asleep in less than 30 minutes, you're sleeping 85% of the time while you're in bed. Um, you have one awakening during the night that's less than 20 minutes. You know, you're able to fall asleep yeah. easily. And that's how they define that's Mauricio quality. Paper. Yeah. Yeah. So there are ways to define it. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for you. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Like it's it's it's, it's still a challenging thing because people, I think people use sleep efficiency sometimes instead of sleep quality. And I had I was having this um, debate with somebody recently who's not from the sleep world, but was trying to argue that sleep efficiency was the quality. And I was like, no, no it's not. No way. Said, it's a no utilize. way. It's no only way. Yeah. Oh, relax, relax. I agree. Time. I agree. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't fight with me. I didn't say anything. <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> Tell you a story here. <laughs> Jesus. Stand down, stand well, down. I was just going to say it's, uh, sleep efficiency is related to sleep duration only. There's no measure of yeah. quality there at all. Yeah. But I think people kind of look at if I'm using the bed, like a utilization measure. And I think it's like nearly like an engineering thing because sleep efficiency really is a utilization. It's like I made this time for bed. I was in this bed for this period. Here's the percentage of time I spent in that bed sleeping. So people think like, oh, if I utilize that time for sleep, that's pretty good. And look, I think it's more like a behavioral measure. You can see what's going on. You can start identifying some problems. Maybe there's big awakenings or, you know, big sleep onset latency, but it's definitely not a quality measure that there's no way. So yeah. And it's, it's interesting when people are writing papers, sleep quality. And sometimes when I review papers, I write back, how do you define sleep quality? <laughs> this is like crickets or with some people I work well going, you said sleep quality can be improved. What's your definition of sleep quality? Well, just better. Mm -hmm. It's not just better sleep. It's not just either define it or don't because if you put it in there you're gonna get yourself in trouble and also <clears throat> if you don't have um a way of explaining that it's just subjective like you were saying so sleep quality for me could be going to bed every night sleep quality for another person could be i don't know having no awakenings and sleeping for 12 hours me it could just, could just be the fact that i went to bed you know 
And mm-hmm. for other people, it might be the fact that they even have a bed. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's all different across across the board. So yeah. So yeah, um, no. So so Amy, with the with the Cerebra device and with the cool ORP measure that we can use, um, is this a device that people can buy? Can they jump online and buy it and have it sent to their home right now? Because they're like probably googling and looking at. <laughs> it is. It's more of a something you would use, you know, like a business to business. There's not a direct to consumer model. We used to have that capability where someone could order a sleep study, get it delivered to their house, you know, and see some of these cool metrics and reports. Um, currently we're kind of moving away from that. So it's more, if you were to go to your sleep physician, they may have this device, um, or in, you know, certain, in consulting contexts, et cetera, they may have this device to really get a fine grain analysis of sleep quality. We are developing a micro prodigy where we want to have uh, basically almost like a bandaid across your forehead that you can wear for, you know, 20 days at a time to really see does that caffeine affect me at noon? Um, do I sleep a lot better if I exercise is, is the wine really impacting my sleep quality? You know, so that's kind of the ultimate goal of where we want to be. Um, but for now we're primarily using it for diagnosing and treating sleep disorders. Yeah. Awesome. So business to business. Yeah. So, uh, Amy kind of grinned there. I am using the Cerebra in my business. <laughs> so I am using it for in some of my consulting work with people. So, um, yeah. And the main reason I did choose it was because of the ability to be highly portable and highly and easy to use and highly easy to transport. So, and then, um, the ORP measure is quite, is quite cool as well. So, um, yeah. So we'll give some feedback on that in another episode, probably. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. So thanks, Amy. Really appreciate your time this morning. If people want to get in touch with you, follow you on Twitter or argue about wearables or even sleep quality with you, how can they do that? (laughs) Well, I'm at sleep for sport on Twitter and Instagram. I'm developing a website, uh, sleepwellthewind.com. I just got to, I have the domain. I just got to put some stuff up there, even if it's not perfect. That's kind of my delay. Um, but yeah, people can can reach out to me there. So sleep well to win, sleep for number four sport on Twitter, and they can reach out to you there. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much, Emmy, for your time today. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. <laughs>